Hello and welcome to Black Minds Matter, the podcast. My name is Paul Dauphin, sitting in for Denisha Merriweather, who is founder of Black Minds Matter. And joining us today is Shante Tamarat with Discovery Lane School in Waldorf, Maryland. And Shante, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure to be on this platform and to speak with everyone watching. Great, great. Well, start us off. Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you into the field of education. Oh, okay. So I've been an educator now for 13 years. <laughs> um, I've been a school administrator for 10. Let me think. What brought me in education? So I was a psychology major uh, when I went to Temple University. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to be a psychologist. <laughs> so I started working one-on-one -on -one with children with autism. And I really just really fell into a passion and love for education. And I was a special education teacher in DC. And then I became an administrator in that same school, at a public charter school solely uh, for children with special needs or exceptionalities, as I say. And then from there, I worked at DCP. I worked in many capacities in public education as an instructional coach. And, and during the time, actually, when I was an administrator is when I developed uh, Discovery Lane with my mom. And so we founded this school that initially was a preschool and then it became a, it expanded to elementary school. So yeah, I've been an educator for, I mean, forever. So it was really my calling and purpose, I believe. So tell us about your school. We feature founders of, of, of black owned operated schools here on the podcast. Tell us about Discovery Lane. When was it founded? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so the idea for Discovery Lane came in 2014. My mom was talking about relocating from Delaware. My brother was graduating high school. He was the last in the, in the household for his babies, for his kids. And so I was like, what if we opened up like an early childhood center? And so she said, um, okay. So it was supposed to be really small at first. I think it was going to be like 15 children. <laughs> The 15 turned into us looking at a building. Like, what if we had 30 kids? And what if we were Reggio Emilia inspired? Um, and I know you'll get into that later into the questions, but, um, and then we, we found a building uh, in Wardoff, Maryland. We were very intentional about being in a space that it was predominantly people of color, um, specifically in an area where you may have people who are upper echelon or affluent, but still don't have these high quality early childhood programs. And so we uh, situated ourselves in that community. We were very new. We didn't really have any. Um, while I lived in the DMV area, we didn't have any ties to the Charles County community at all. And so we were really starting from grassroots. We found the building in 20, I think 16 it was. Maybe it was 15. I'm losing track of the numbers. <laughs> and it was 2015. And it took us, we were also take us four months to, to renovate this space. It took more like 10. It was going through like the permitting process back and forth. And we opened our doors in March 2016. And we enrolled our first student in June 2016. And from there, we just really grew. So 2016, doors open. How were you embraced by the community, by parents in particular? Were they watching this, this school get formed? So I saw you guys moving into the building and were like, what's this going to be? No, not really. <laughs> 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 
Um, in fact, it was really like uh, growing pains, right? Like I, we opened in March. We didn't have any children. We didn't really develop. There's uh, some, you know, some things I learned along the way as far as marketing and, you know, social media was even six years ago was much different landscape than it is today. Um, and so in 27, so when we opened, so then we had our first student in June, it was very slow rollout. I want to say by then September, we maybe had like 15 students. Um, now we've amassed a wait list, but at that time, no, it was a very slow rollout. What did get a lot of attention, and even from senators and other delegates, is when we expanded to elementary school. That got us a lot of recognition because we had to change the law first. We had to get a law adopted for our zone to be able to have private schools because it was not permissible in the zone that we served. And so that actually got us a lot of recognition. But when we first opened, no, it was a very slow rollout. <laughs> so everybody wants to own a school. Sometimes you're going to have that, right? And so you have to push through. So how many students do you have now? And what grades do you serve? So right now we serve pre-K. So we have a, our youngest kiddos are two and we can go up to third grade. We won't start enrolling third grades until next year. So this school year, 2022, 2023, we will have approximately 60 students and we will serve kiddos pre-K to second grade. And you mentioned it just briefly earlier, but this curriculum, Reggio Emilia, what is that? Tell us about that curriculum. Yeah, so that was sort of like, like really like the, the area in which we had to really be um, experts in that and really teaching our families and the community at large about the importance of children having autonomy and agency in their learning. And that's a core tenet of the Reggio approach. Uh, we do get a lot of questions about the similarities to Montessori because Montessori is a little bit more recognized, um, especially on the East Coast. Um, and so with that, it, it's really a child-centered approach to learning. So in like traditional teaching settings, you may see a lot of thematic, meaning themes. So like weekly, you'll have different themes. And a Reggio approach, it's very much an organic curriculum built upon student interest. Uh, the environment is seen as the third teacher. So like, let's say if we're teaching our letters, right? We're gonna incorporate the environment in that. We see rich print all around us in our environment, whether it be through signs or um, when we're going out and we're reading different books. And so we really help children conceptualize those ideas in that way. And it's a very hands-on learning. And we also look at project-based learning. We're really thinking about not just how children can have a product at the end, but how we're, what's the process to getting to um, what they decide is their end point. And so um, one of our projects that we're doing right now is that we actually have chickens in our school. We have little chicks and we are going to keep the chickens. They're going to have a, we have a chicken coop outside on the playground. It's going to be a long-term project where the students are going to be participatory um, in the care and nurturing of this livestock. <laughs> so they're very excited about that. So at some point you will have eggs, right? So we 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 went past the egg part. We did have eggs before in our school, but we the chicks actually they're little they're little chicks they're like two days old. They actually come in the mail. It's hard to explain this to people, but apparently chicks have been coming in the mail since 1930s or something like that. So the mail no the post office actually called me and said we have your chickens. Um, the children did pick which chickens they wanted. They said these are chicks that we know, and also with adult support <laughs> with identifying you know chickens that are good for kiddos. 
and we talk about things like um, it had to still be warm with the heater, you know, with the heat um, heat lamp um, and things of that nature, and that we had to change the water daily. What type of chickens do we have? And um, then we're constructed. So they're seeing us construct this chicken coop. We do a lot of building ourselves at Discovery Lane. So myself and our missions director, we're actually building the coop ourselves, and you know, so it's they're very involved in that way. <laughs> So they're going to see the, the life cycle aside from the egg part, but they're going to see like them really grow. And they grow fast. Chickens grow very quickly. And, you know, I'm sure they will learn the whole cycle of, of kind of of life and death with animals. Uh, you know, especially the, the food cycle where chickens are <laughs> in our food cycle. My, uh, my wife. <laughs> yeah, my wife grew up in the country, so they they had the thing where they, when she was kids, they would name the animals, and then they would end up eating the animals. Which, when that first happened, that was a little startling. But uh, they yeah, for us, use it as a way to um, give the children eggs, so they can know. So we have all female um, chickens, so they'll be able to have eggs that they can take home with their families. So the area where the school is in, in Waldorf, Maryland, is that a is that really an urban community, suburban or rural? Uh, give us a picture of what Waldorf is like, where, where your kids are coming from. You know, it's actually kind of mixed. So it was very rural at one point. It's, it's becoming incredibly developed. It is now actually, um, according to new reports, the wealthiest black county in America. Um, oh, it's wow. surpassed. Yeah, I surpassed Prince George's County, which is a neighboring county to us. Um, so, yeah, I guess Maryland now has the two wealthiest black counties. They're like neck and neck. So, yeah, I would say it's very developed, very, uh, very suburban. Um, and it being the wealthiest black county, uh, quite certainly on the upper tier of um, um, economics, you know, and, and, and I mean, we're a private school, so our families are paying private tuition to attend our program. And in your families, if they weren't able to go to your school or going to your school, going to Discovery Lane, what are the other options like in that area? Are we dealing with a lot of uh, low-performing public schools or, or the public school system is, is fairly stable and, and this is just a great, uh, not just, but this is a great option for families? You know, I'm a huge advocate for public education. I always have been. I know probably some people think because I went to private school. I'm not. I love I love public school education. I actually love to go teach public high school one day just to volunteer. Um, I, it depends on who you're talking to, right? It depends on what your child's needs are. So if your child has exceptionalities or has specialized needs, that lens could look different for you as what you think your child needs. Um, I would think that people think their children may fare a little better in private school if they have the means and access to um if their child's a disability, say like autism, um, they may feel it's better because their child's gonna be in a small classroom size. I really think it just depends on what family you're speaking to. Um, I would say some huge, some disadvantages that are that trend very similarly to many public schools are classroom sizes, certainly teachers that you know are and feel underpaid and undervalued. Um, and, you know, you want to have a school head, a school figure, like a, uh, a superintendent that you feel really has the heart of the community um, or the heart um, of the student's best interest at heart. Right. And so I really think that question, it really depends on who you're talking to and also what school you attend. 
like districts are so big. You can have a great experience at one school. Your child could change to another school. And you're like, oh my gosh, I had the best experience. And I'm just making the school name up. I don't even know the school name. In yeah. You know, a barnyard. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I had the best experience in that school. And your child could go to like James Thomason Middle School. And you're like, what is going on? It could be the same district. So I would say that it's definitely probably fares better than what you see um, in communities that don't have this tax revenue, which are often impoverished communities, to really push the funding in the schools. Um, but I wouldn't say it's like one of the top tier. No. And we don't, there's also not a lot of private schools in the Charles County area. Well, we're really one of the few. Mm hmm. Now, Discovery Lane was founded by you and your sister. Is that correct? My mom. She she loves to love that movement, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell her I said that. I will. <laughs> so, so this is this is a family undertaking. What, what's that like? It can be okay in the beginning. You're you're learning. I've always. My mom is my we're very close, right? And so, but she's my mom, so I've only ever talked to her in that role in that capacity. It's a lot different when you kind of you shape, you shift a little bit, and now this is we're business partners. You know, there's a certain dynamic and relationship and level of honesty that comes with that, right? Um, but I do think it's wonderful to have done something with my mom because of our close relationship and because of our dedication to to early learners. And so it has been wonderful. It's been a wonderful journey. Um, and so I'm very grateful that my mom decided to move and help pursue this dream with myself. Yeah, it's been great. Describe a, a typical classroom at Discovery. Uh, I would think that one of the hallmarks has to be small class size, right? Yeah, I would say definitely small classroom size. <laughs> I would I would really though say that you're going it feels like I would say it feels like Disney World when you go on Discovery Lane again working in public education. You know, there can be a lot of chaotic things happening at times um, because there's so many moving parts. But I feel largely what makes Discovery Lane different is the family commitment. Our parents are very dedicated to their children's education. Um, you see it and with how they show up. Right, how they showed up to voice their their concerns to the commissioners about allowing for independent schools. You know how they show up for our community wide events, our book fair, which is a huge event that we have at the school, um, and other various fundraising ways. So I would say definitely a core tenant is our families. They, they really show up. That that is what makes the makes the school itself. You know um, that's what you're going to see when you come into the school. You're going to see that. You're going to see um, encouragement, motivation. And children's voice, again, I really, I stress this a lot to, to educators, is that you really, really, and school leaders too, you really want children to have agency in what they learn, right? Their voice should be heard. I want to hear what they have to say. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see classroom discussions. You're going to see, wow, oh my goodness, you're going to see investigation. How can a child, how can you describe yucky? You have to experience yucky. You know, you have to play with slime. You have to play with shade and green. You have to be involved and engulfed in that learning because that is going to be meaningful for the child. And you're going to see documentation in the classroom. You're going to see their 
not just their art, but like their process on the walls. And they're going to be able to help. They're going to narrate and tell you about the experiences that they're having in classrooms because, again, they have agency in their learning. What's been the biggest challenge in these years since you opened Discovery Lane? Well, I think the most obvious one is COVID. <laughs> um, definitely COVID. <laughs> like, um, and I don't mean to laugh because it's very disheartening, you know, how that yeah. has been, that ravaged. Certainly my business, I always say this a, a lot, like Discovery Lane, I can teach anywhere. It's not the building. You know, teaching is my calling. And certainly I wouldn't have wanted to see my business collapse and it didn't. Um, people lost their lives. You know, I have family members that have lost family members. I mean, that was certainly very um, heartbreaking to see. We had to reinvent. We had to, some of it is honestly a blur. We became, we did virtual. I never, in my, all my years of education, thought I would see parents pay for private virtual preschool. Like preschool isn't even mandatory. And this is how committed our families were to their children's learning. But from that came us expanding to become an elementary school. When COVID hit, our family said, we don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable with my child going to another school. I know how you all maintain the school, the cleanliness, the small classroom sizes. Would you all consider expanding to kindergarten? And I said, I don't know if I want to do that. I really like preschool. It seems we have another agency overseeing us now. Um, and it was the, one of the best decisions we could have made. It really was. And so, yeah, that was the biggest challenge. I mean, we saw our enrollment go from waitlist all the way down to 15 children at one point. I think we, we almost had like 10, 10, I think we had 10 students in the building and the rest were virtual. And then those numbers just quickly started to dwindle when June came. But through it all, we only had to um, not pay teachers for two weeks during the entire time of COVID. We kept our entire teaching team on. In fact, we gave raises. Well, mom and I really made a lot of sacrifices to see our business sustain as long as it did. We got grant after grant. We're still applying for grants. And so that really showed us that we, you really can do anything. And I really live by Nelson Mandela's quote, it all seems impossible until it's done. And I think no one can really plan for something, a once in a lifetime pandemic. And so once we, once we triumph that, I said, we can do anything. <laughs> So what, what's motivating Shante Tamarat today or on a daily basis? What, what's, what's the thing that's got you fired up? You've gotten through the pandemic. You've added those grades. What, what's pushing you now? What's motivating you? You know, I think what's pushing me now is that the world is our oyster. You know, my students teach me that every day with their excitement for new things that I show them. And that's something I want to hold true to myself as an adult is to continue finding excitement and newness and keep seeking where questions are unanswered. You know, I'm being more encouraged to educate other teachers, other school principals, other people who want to open up schools. And so I think really seeing that the world is our oyster and we have so much to give and so much to live for. And I really live by to whom much is given, much is required. And I feel very blessed and honored to be in this position, to be in a place where God has appointed me to, to have uh, the forthright and the, all the abilities inside of me and, and, my, and our team to, um, 
to do the work that's necessary. So while it can be hard and trying sometimes, I feel that this is truly a blessing. There's no other, there is no other journey I would rather be on but this one. And as we explore this, this universe of, of founders of black owned, black operated schools, what's your advice to someone who's watching or listening and they're thinking about launching their own school? What's your, what's your advice to them? I think find your niche, find what is missing in your community, right? And so for us, what was missing was high quality early childhood programs. We offer organic meals. We have special teachers that come to our school and supplement our curriculum. We offer culinary arts. We have yoga, we have mindfulness, uh, we have uh, physical education. And so really find what is your school going to offer that no other school is offering. And it doesn't have to be something huge or monumental. It could be something just as simple as we are child-centered, right? And so think about that. Really get involved with your community because they're going to be your key stakeholders. And what I mean by getting involved is go out to the community, go out to your barbershops. You know, they're the staple of many Black community. <laughs> go to your, you know, your hair salons, really talk to people about what they need, do a needs assessment and really say, okay, what is, what, what do people feel is missing in their community? And know that Rome wasn't built in a day, but if you build it, they will come. And so that's why I want to be very honest when I say that in the beginning, I, there wasn't all these people running to our school. That's not the story for everybody. Some people do have really a mass waiting list as soon as they open their doors. But be okay and be comfortable with, with failure because it's really about how you see it, right? And so be okay and comfortable with that and prepare for that. Because if you prepare for that, you'll be able to be successful in this and believe in yourself. You know, no one's going to know your dream or vision better than you. And really just do it. If you if you can wait five years and not have the school or you can work that whole five years at the end, you have a school. <laughs> so just do it. Just do it. <laughs> and thinking about, uh, I guess, the the time that you've worked for in been on this journey with, with Discovery Lane. Is there a family or a student that stands out in your mind that that really I'm I'm proud of of what's happened, how we impacted that life? Is is there a story you can think of that just really stands out? Oh gosh. I have being an educator for 13 years, I have so yeah. many. Um it's hard to pick just a student. Oh, let me think. I I can certainly say, oh gosh, a oh, family. Let me let me process this for a second. I did see that question. I was like, oh, family. Yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness. let me think. Well, while okay. while you think of yeah, you oh, got oh, one. Oh, okay. I think I no. got one. Yeah. So I think you never forget your first. <laughs> so I will never forget <laughs> the first family that signed their kiddo their family up for Discovery Lane, and that kiddo's name is Leslie. Who I think now is probably like a fifth grader. And at the time he was like four. I'll never forget the first parent that was like, I'm signing my kid up. This I believe in this. I'll never forget. <laughs> and it was the only child we have for like maybe, I don't know, like maybe a month or so. But I you never forget the first person that poured into you and believed in you. But I'll also never forget the families that, you know, that continued to see us through when we were trying to become a a, a private school the families that stayed with us during COVID, they were like one parent, I remember this parent saying, we are gonna stick by Discovery Lane. We believe in what you all are doing. 
So there's so many. I'm just very fortunate and blessed. But I think you don't ever forget the first, though, that, that says we're going to sign our kid up. <laughs> Well, great. And uh, before I let you go, just a quick question. I think you said you're up to second grade now with, with your school. Any more grade expansion in case we've got some some families in Waldorf who see this and they're like, I got to go to that school. Any expansion plans on the way? Yeah, definitely. So our goal is to go to third grade. I mean, excuse me, fifth grade, fifth grade. That is our goal to serve the whole elementary um, again, we are licensed to go up to third grade. We just like to slowly enroll organically. So we just decided let's go to third grade, but let's only enroll to second this school year. Um, but yeah, our plans are to go to fifth grade, which I can't even believe I'm saying, honestly. <laughs> I never thought we would go that far. You just never know how your business will go. So um, yeah, that's that's our plans. And we are excited. Any family that's interested in enrolling their students, you certainly want to start about a year before <laughs> um, the school year. That, that's what I would recommend because we do we do fill up our seats rather quickly. Well, Shante, thank you so much for joining us on Black Minds Matter podcast and best of luck to you and your mom with Discovery Lane. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.